Good morning or good evening, everyone. This is Elder Mike Montgomery here to introduce you all to another session of OBW Talks, the podcast of Old Baptist Weekly, and how we have enjoyed ourselves. And uh, I always try to say this, how edified we always seem to feel after we have one of these sessions. There hasn't been one session where I didn't feel like, wow, that was a waste of my time. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's always been a great, great source of learning for me. And it's it's humbling to feel like that, even though you've been in the ministry like I have. And I know Brother Joe's got three times the seniority on me, but I'll, I'll be almost 40 years in the ministry, and I still feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface. And after these kind of podcasts, man, is it a good surface to scratch? Yeah. We have enjoyed ourselves. And today <clears throat> we have with us on the peanut gallery to my left. I don't know if it's to anybody else's left. Elder Mark Rao, say hello to the people. Hello, hello. Good to see everybody. Below Brother Mark is Elder Joe Holder. How are you doing, Brother Joe? Good evening. Doing doing better. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. And to, next to him is Elder Jerry Anstey. Well, I'm certainly glad to be next to Brother Joe. Uh, good <laughs> evening, everybody. And least but not last, I mean, uh, last but not least, <laughs> someone that I like to call son and other times, hey, you, <laughs> but mostly Brother Daniel or Elder Daniel. Elder Daniel Montgomery, yeah, yeah. how are you doing, Elder Son? Mm, hello, Elder Pappy. Hello. <laughs> Brother Daniel is with us today. We're thankful for him to be there. But his little girl, my little granddaughter's sick, so he had to stay home today. And we're praying for Sister Allison. Tell her Papa loves her. Well, do. Uh, we are today intending God being our helpers to look at First John chapter two, verses one and two. Uh, if you read these verses and you, if you're very well acquainted with them, you know these are some very powerful. They teach some very powerful truths. Uh, we we want to look at these two verses. One is uh, based upon our discussion last week on John 3.16, and two, on the uh, way we tried to look at John 3.16, which was from the contextual view. Uh, we want to do that today. We want to look at the context of 1 John 2, 1 and 2, because as I hope you, if you've been paying attention to us, you know how we feel about it. There are no, there's not a single verse that's written in a vacuum. All verses are interconnected to the context surrounding it, and you have to see that surrounding context, get a sense of it and of the dynamics involved to really get a good understanding or start of an understanding on the text in question, which in, for us is second, first John chapter two, verses one to two. And we're going to have Elder Daniel lead us in word of prayer, after which. We will have Elder Joe Holder, as, or as he is affectionately known to some of us, Uncle Joe, provide another level set that we cherish. We're we just thankful. You know, Brother Mark and Brother Jerry and I were kidding a little while ago. Once he does his level set, what else is there to say? But really what he does is a true level set. He gets us going, and man, are we thankful for him and for the gift the Lord's given him and his uh, exercise of it. In the ministry. That's enough about Uncle Joe. He's already fed up with me on that. Um, now let's go 
to the Lord in prayer. Elder Daniel, would you lead us in prayer? Then Brother Joe, come forward, please. If you please bow. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to worship and discuss the things of you, Lord. We ask that you be with us through this discussion, uh, that you might grant liberty to uh, our dear brother Joe and to all of us, that we might expound on the things of you, Lord. We ask that you be with all the sick and afflicted, those that are in desperate need of your blessings, Lord, and continue to be with our world and with all of our churches. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Brother Joe, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. The discussion and focus that led us last week to the third chapter of John continues to, to some degree, influence our minds to 1 John chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 this week. People so often find their favorite verse and read it as if it's the only verse in the Bible and totally ignore the context in which that verse appears. We tried to emphasize last week that John 3.16, as rich as the promise and blessings described in that verse are, cannot be rightly interpreted and understood without anchoring our thoughts in John 3.14 and 15. And that changes everything it doesn't reduce the blessing, but it changes the focus that we need to look and study to find what the Holy Spirit intended, we believe, to teach from it. The same, in many ways, applies to the two verses we'll study tonight. These two verses are often quoted and interpreted without any contextual reference or consideration, whatever. And that does not lead us to proper understanding. Let me read those two verses, and then we'll offer some thoughts. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The theme of 1 John is twofold. John wrote against perhaps early stage, but definitely developing and growing docetic Gnosticism. Gnosticism blossomed into its full influence in the second century, but clearly, from John's description here, it began in the first century and obviously was attempting to invade early Christian churches and teachers. <clears throat> so, first of all, John opposes and, and examines and refutes docetic Gnosticism. Secondly, this is a lesson for us preachers. Don't ever preach a sermon 100% against. If you must oppose, and sometimes we must, do oppose and be very clear and specific, but make your pro what you believe right. is the positive teaching of Scripture, your emphatic point. On the positive side, in 1 John, John writes for the historical to borrow a term from Paul, 
God manifest in the flesh, Jesus. Docetic Gnostics denied that Jesus had a literal human body of flesh and blood. Docetic comes from the Greek word appearance. He appeared to have a human body, but that appearance was a phantom body or a spirit body. It was not a real flesh and blood human body. In the very first chapter and the first three verses, John confronts and refutes that point. He will do so later, but in that those first three verses, he says, that, you know, these people have come up with a philosophical thought and, and made it absolute truth in their minds. Folks, that's philosophical. I was there. I was an eyewitness. I saw him. I heard his human voice speak words to me. I touched him. I handled him. I lived with him for three and a half years. I speak as a firsthand witness. He did live. He was real. He had a human body. Hard to argue with an eyewitness. And that's what John does right up front. What are the consequences of this kind of a, an odd idea of no physical body for Jesus, only this phantom or spirit body? There's no crucifixion. There's no resurrection. There's no ascension back to heaven. And consequently, there's no salvation. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins. This is not a casual discuss over coffee technical point. It is a core departure from essential truth of God and what he did for his people. John will further emphasize the error in the fourth chapter and identify every spirit, this is verse two, that confesseth that Jesus is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not, this is the docetic Gnostics, that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is not of God. That spirit didn't come from God. What comes from God is the acknowledgement, the confession that agrees with John's firsthand witness. He came in human flesh. <clears throat> so what's the point that John is making. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Sin or sin not is, is an interesting theme that appears throughout 1 John. In the first chapter, closing verses, he says, if, if we say we have no sin or we have not sinned, we're living in oblivion. We, we, we make him a liar and the truth isn't in us. And yet later in the book, he will say, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So which is it, John? Well, it's both. How about that? Um, and here he says, I'm writing to you that you sin not. That's the dominant message of 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. That's why he's writing. Why would he write this? Ah, the Docetic Gnostics believe that everything material, this entire physical universe and the physical human body, was all corrupt and therefore all irrelevant. 
to anything significant. Therefore, they taught that sin, which relates to the body and flesh, material existence, was also irrelevant. What does John say about that? <laughs> it's relevant. It's very, very relevant. We sin, we break our fellowship with him. That's relevance. But on the converse, he says, by the way, when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate means a friend of the court. Think about a criminal trial in a court of law in our own uh, judicial tradition. When the, the accused person is asked to stand before the court to hear the verdict, what happens to the lawyer who's represented him? He stands up with him. You know what John is saying? When we have to stand up before God, Jesus stands beside us. He's there representing us, not as an impartial attorney, but as a friend of the court. Father, I'm here pleading. This is a constant role or relationship that Jesus plays in our lives. It goes on from the time we're born of the Spirit until we check out and go home to glory. But what about this big sin problem? You know, that, that underlying sin problem that, that makes the difference between heaven and eternal separation. Oh, John covers that as well. He is the propitiation. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the exact same Greek word in the writings of Moses for the mercy seat. That intimate piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies that was covered with blood, the blood of the, of the Day of Atonement sacrificial goat and remembered sin. I won't cover it now, but perhaps we'll cover it as we go along. In Hebrews chapter 10, Paul reminds us, the Day of Atonement sacrifices can never put sin away. They only remember sin. Ah, but Jesus came and fulfilled that Day of Atonement sacrificial goat. What does he do for the sins of his people? Look at it in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 10, we are sanctified, set apart to God through the offering of the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus. Did you hear that? The body. Verse 14, by one offering his own body, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified by his offering. Verse 17, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And verse 18, where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. This passage, and I'll be negative momentarily and then try to go to the positive, is often used in, in modern teaching to teach that Jesus made a provisional, propositional offering for your sins, but you have to do something to implement and catalyze what he did or you won't benefit from it. 
wait a minute, there are no conditions, there is no proposition in this passage. It is an absolute statement of fact, which Paul emphasizes the details and consequences of Jesus' day of atonement sacrifice in Hebrews 10. If the whole world in this verse refers to all human beings, there is no way logically that we can deny universal salvation. The passage says too much for the modern propositional offering. It doesn't state propositions, it states facts. And we need to study, and I'm throwing the gauntlet open to you guys to study and peel the onion and look deeper into this lesson. Have at it, brothers. Well, as we normally say, it was nice having you all with us today. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, great, wow. great level set. That really was uh, blessed. I, I thank the Lord. You for that. never cease to amaze me. <laughs> the Lord bless so much. Okay, wow. brother Jerry. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that's this is like sitting down at a banqueting table, right, and looking to the right and looking to the left, and it being chock full of just mouth-watering goodness. <laughs> Where do you start? Where do you go? Um, I tell you, um, I guess I would start this way. And and my goodness, Brother Joe, uh, so many things you said that you could jump on any one of them. But I trust that the Lord will kind of bless us to walk through this lesson so that we come away with... Um, with a, a better understanding of the need to look at scripture in context. We talk about that all of the time. And sometimes that concept is a little evasive as we look at it, because uh, there's a there's an immediate context that I think is very important. And Lord bless you to raise certainly those issues that some of the things that John was dealing with. Uh, historically in that time and false teachings. And uh, I love what you said uh, about uh, and the advice and exhortation to the ministry today, never preach a sermon based totally against error. We have so much better of a story to talk about to God's people that um, you need to point to the error and warn. That's that's a responsibility that we have, and John certainly does that. But he uses the the um, amazing blessing and abundance of of grace goodness, if I can put it that way, to to set it before uh, the Lord's people. There's there's something that I would put out there, and as I was trying to look at this, and I love First John. I it's it's just such an amazing. A letter that that John puts out, and it just, for me, it just oozes of compassion and passion and caring, a pastoral love. Um, oh, I tell you, we as God's people, we need a compassionate ministry. We need a ministry that is uh, is on fire for the Lord's people and for the message that God's given us to help and encourage and and edify. John John does that with this, and it's all predicated upon the love of God. I, I mean, that, you know, you read his his uh, uh, the gospel according to John, and love is there too. Guess Amen. what? So is the deity of Christ. Amen. The deity of Christ, and 
So here's my point. And, and, you know, you all may have to just shut me down. You know, Mark put me on mute and then somebody else can talk. <laughs> but uh, there's an immediate context that we need to follow. But I look at it this way. Maybe I'm, I'm looking at it wrong or it's too vague. But I think there's an ultimate context, an overarching context that is provided by the Spirit uh, as we study Scripture. What I mean by that is, and you said it. We don't look, or maybe Mike said it in his intro, we don't ever look at a passage of scripture in a vacuum. It, they interconnect, they interconnect. And scripture, right here, what we're studying, is not going to contradict the overarching context of scripture as inspired by the Spirit. It's never going to do that. So if our interpretation of it flies in the face of something else that we're, we're established in and that scripture uh, sets before us, that should be an immediate uh, trigger to, to, to have a stop <laughs> and, and, you know, further prayerfully investigate because there are no contradictions in scripture. There, there just aren't. They will all, they will harmonize with the overarching context. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, yeah I, I, and I think it's a bona fide principle. Right. It's it a bonafide principle, Brother Mike, and, and I think sometimes we we get lost a little bit. And Brother Joe, you mentioned we have favorite scriptures, and we like to take them out of the Bible. I submit, have favorite scriptures, but leave them in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> leave Amen. them where they are, and, and let them just mesh into that beautiful, beautiful story um, that that we have. Uh, I want to just, let me just say this, just as a... Uh, I guess my own in my own pea brain level set. <laughs> when I read First John and Brother Joe, many many years ago, you helped me so much. You and you and Brother Mike Ivy, but mostly you, quite frankly, um, relative to contextual study. Um, and I remember in those those earlier years in trying to study Scripture, a lot of times I'd approach it topically, and um, I think sometimes we get in the habit of finding mm-hmm. a word and running all over Scripture with it, and and that doesn't edify. That doesn't drive God's people into Scripture. Right. Um, and so when contextual study grabbed me, the hardest and the most was when I tried to study First John, long, long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. And, and one of the reasons is because John himself makes the point when he says, these things write I unto you blank. Mm-hmm. He had a very, very specific purpose. And he says it a, a few times in, in the general epistle, these things write I unto you that your joy might be full. Yeah. Well, let's hold on to that, that your fellowship would increase, that your fellowship would be specific to the fact that I've seen him, I've held him, I've I've laid my head upon his breast. Fellowship and joy that comes from that to help guard against sin. He wrote these things to help guard against sin. I write these things that you sin not, that you sin not. He uh, he gives specific warning against false teachers. You covered that beautifully in, in your remarks. Now, try the spirits, um, understanding that there are false teachers. John writes these things to strengthen faith of, mm. of the believer, to strengthen their faith. It's, it's an epistle written to believers, and we know that's true because First John 5 speaks of that. These things write I unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Why? That you might believe. <laughs> John's writing 
to believers that believe in order that they might believe. Believe more. Believe more. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. they might know that they have eternal life. And that eternal life is in Christ. That sets a context right there that if we just hold to that, this letter flows beautifully. So there you go. I've talked enough. Somebody else take that and, and, and run with it. Good thoughts, man. Good. I know, I, I'm seeing Brother Mark, and it's hard sometimes to read people's expressions, but I, he's ready. Let's go, boy. Go. You see his head going like that. <laughs> Loose the hounds. <laughs> well, I'll I'll say this. One of the one of the best sermons I I've I've ever heard on First John chapter one, and specifically the first four verses was was preached by somebody that's sitting on this 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 group chat right now. I won't name names, Jerry Anstey, but <laughs> it it solidified in my mind that the the need for fellowship that the apostle John was promoting. And it's not just, um, you know, the fellowship like we have here, right. Our fellowship with one another, but he anchored it, uh, three ways, fellowship with God, fellowship with the apostles, fellowship with one another. And each one of those aspects of fellowship is real, right? We're not talking, we're not talking esoteric things. We're talking about real spiritual things, our fellowship with God, our fellowship with the apostles and and what they preached and what they taught by divine inspiration, which comes down to the fellowship we have with one another. Real, real, real. When he transitions to his uh to this topic on these things I write unto you, if you sin not. I think, Brother Joe, you mentioned the closing verses of the first chapter. It says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not um, in us. So again, this is real. This isn't an esoteric concept of, of, of things that don't uh, that don't have weight. Um, we're sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. If we say, Oh, I'm, I don't sin. I'm, I'm perfect the way, the way I am. Uh, in one place it says, you know, we make him a liar, um, which is really scary. So then he heads into this, this first, this, uh, second chapter, where he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I love the picture that was painted of our advocate standing with us, and more importantly, standing for us. Because that word uh, advocate, if I'm not mistaken, does mean to stand beside or to walk beside. Um, uh, Elder Clifford Goins one time um, in our conversation mentioned that that Greek word is parakletos, I believe. And he really talked about para meaning, meaning parallel or beside and kletos meaning to stand or walk. Uh, I mean, he says, think of the word cleats. Where does the word cleats come from that we, you know, you wear in a baseball game. I thought that was great. So he, he immediately drives, (coughs) excuse me. He immediately drives to the point that we have an advocate. We have somebody that stands beside us that proclaims what he has done for us so that when we do sin, 
that he's standing there saying, Father, remember the offering. Father, remember the blood. Father, remember the propitiation. And going back to Hebrews chapter 10, I know I'm just throwing a lot of things out. My mind is swirling right now. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says um, in verse 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. It establishes the single sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid uh, for the sins of the people. But verse, but like you said, we can take that to a universalism. You know, we can say, well, that means everybody. He made one sacrifice for sins for every human being. But then in verse 14, uh, he narrows it down. For by one offering, so it's that same offering, that single offering, one offering forever, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So when he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, so audience under audits under consideration, right? He's talking to us for our sins. But then he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh Uh-oh, now we go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. So, but it says he made one offering forever for them that are sanctified. So it seems like there is a setting apart of this sins of the whole world. And the best thing that I can do is run to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Because it says there, according as he hath chosen us, so there's the sanctified, there's the setting apart, there's the divine election of grace, but it says he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. What? I mean, world is world is world, right? I don't think so. Remember context. So we see, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we those that are sanctified should be holy and without blame before Amen. him in love. Yes, right. that's right. Context of Ephesians chapter one, context of John chapter three, context of first John chapter two will define the worlds that are being spoken of. And with regard to those, and you combine all three and then the Holy ghost will make it plain that there is a people of God that he made an offering for. Yeah. They're sanctified. That's who the offering was for. And that advocacy is for those that he made the offering for. And John likes to put it, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we've got to limit things, right? Am I right? I think think I'm right. We've got to limit things. (laughs) Yeah. So now I would love to hear uh, Mike, you or Daniel or brother Joe, brother Jerry talk about a little bit about that dividing of that world, because I think that's really critical in understanding this text. Brother Mark, if I could just jump in real quick, and I know I've already said something, so let me say this and then I'll just really shut up. But I, I, in studying this and looking at it, because that the whole world is, is a, a pause point, right? And mm-hmm. if we take things in a vacuum, boy, we're going to get all messed up. And I love the way you went and where you went. I looked at this, and if, if my study's correct, uh, there's three Greek words that uh, can be uh, translated in English, the English word world in the New Testament. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what they are because I can't pronounce them. <laughs> but one of them, and the one here, is used 185 times. 
There's another one that's used 37 times and another one that's used three times. And they all have uh, interactive or interconnected uh, thoughts, but they're all very specific. My point is this, if we do not hold to context in, in determining what's under consideration, like you, Brother Mark, just did in moving through scripture and letting it bear witness to each other and testify of what's under consideration, we will get tripped up and, yeah. and we'll, be, we'll be prone to error. Yeah. And uh, and that's really what this study is all about, right. trying to look at. So I just put that out there because I thought it was very interesting and in how important it is that we contextually divide this. Well, really, also, if you look at the, well, he says whole world. So whole means complete. It means mm -hmm. all of it, right? Yeah. But then world comes in and we can sit and use uh, mounts or strongs or Thayer, whoever we yeah. want to use. And, and you know, and, and they they really expand on that. But I do find it interesting that one of the first words that they try to use in definition is order. Yeah. So it's the whole order of things. That's right. So it is whole, but it's understanding the world. And in context, 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 that will drive out what that world is. Right. The, the, I think the, the word that, is 185 or 80, 187 times that would be cosmos right um so strongs because i do like strongs uh, <clears throat> uh okay so strong says cosmos uh is the use of world in uh at least in ephesians one and four probably from the whatever okay orderly arrangement that is decor decoration by implication of the world and here's a really interesting parathetical statement in a wide or narrow sense, including yeah. its inhabitants, literally or figuratively. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's literally a one size fits all word. The word means how you use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 It could, could could it mean planet? It yeah. If that's it how does. he's using it. Uh, it, it, could it mean all of human existence? Yes. If that's how he's using it. But read how he's using it. If he's using it in the context of talking about a, a certain set of people, that is an acceptable use of that word. Right. It is. Right. 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 Great point, Daniel. I helped. And, and Brother Mike, all things means all things, but it means all things in context, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, no. say anything else. That was what I was going to lead with. Oh, oh, no. I, mean, I, just, I just threw it through the ball to, to you. You had to go there. You had to go there. <laughs> Joe, I know Brother Joe's got something to say, and then I'll say what. I had to say. You haven't said anything. I, I, but I have to say, I'll wait. Go ahead. <laughs> well, <clears throat> pardon me. I, uh, I want to look a little bit more at that part of uh, Joe's level set about the Gnostics, because I think it's very, very important. And, and probably, if you're like me, thinking about things like this, your eyes glass over real fast. But please don't let your eyes glass over. Don't stop your ears. This is really important, and you'll have to trust me or trust Brother Joe or trust the scriptures, whatever you want to do, because it's plain in certain pardon me, in certain expressions that John makes in his first epistle. He's not writing only to encourage his readers, but he's also to provide a counter argument to uh, what we would call uh, unorthodox or heterodox uh, preachers of the gospel. Hmm. which mm -hmm. was a gospel infected by yep. 
mm-hmm. Gnosticism. And it, like Joe said, it could have been proto-Gnosticism. It could have been, doci- how do you pronounce it? Docist- docetism. <laughs> I can't say docetism. But it doesn't really matter if it was full-blown Gnostic or proto-Gnosticism. It was that. Mm. And you got to know a little bit about why that Gnosticism is so dangerous. I think, for one thing, it was the first problem, first heresy to really affect the church. Uh, not to say there wasn't other things, there wasn't other uh, schisms or divisions in the church, but I think Gnosticism was a, was a tough one for a lot of people because it promoted the idea of knowledge over experience. And over love. And, and love is a part of that experience because yeah. you can't trust your flesh. Right. Because materially speaking, anything material is, is inherently evil. Now, that may not sound like such a bad thing because the Bible does say we're, our, our flesh is carnal, our, our, we still have sin in the flesh. But the Gnostics would say this, that, that knowledge of the source and knowledge from the source is the only thing that matters, just the knowing. And uh, the danger to something like that is it, it opens the door for anything you can think. That's right. Has to be right because... Uh, thinking is is gnosis yeah yeah and uh, a thought no matter how silly or 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 whatever you want to say it you can't dismiss it because it's thought pure thought and uh, i'm not saying that gnostics went way off the board some of them did but it opened the door for a kind of thinking which i see prevalent in christianity today where it's this, it's like this uh, oneness kind of a thing that if you're in the spirit, you can't say anything wrong. Yeah. That if you're, if you truly are being led by the Holy ghost, there's nothing you can do wrong. You won't age. You won't, you can't sin. You won't get sick and you won't say anything wrong. And the Lord will bless you with blessings untold. Do you see how dangerous a doctrine like that is? Yeah. It's very dangerous. And this is why John said what he said in the, the latter part of the first chapter. And I'm going to just turn to it if I may, when he says, and Mark, I think you read this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us Mm -hmm. our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, a Gnostic would hate that. A Gnostic would say, what's the need for cleansing? Right. You know, thought is pure. Thought is inherently good. And then, Mm -hmm. but you see what John is doing. Mm -hmm. He's telling his his, uh, faithful readers, whatever church, churches they were in, that you are a human being and you are going to sin. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to trip up. And the Gnostics will use that against you. And they'll say, look how far from the truth you are. He says, if we have not sinned, and here's a very strong statement, I think, from John, brethren. If we say that we have not sinned, right. we make him, make who him God, a liar. liar. That's right. And his word <clears throat> is not in us. Boy, I tell you what, that from John 1, 5 to the end, there's a, there's a, three iterations of uh, thought that are just powerful. But now keep that in mind. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And then John says, my little children, (laughs) these things write unto you that you sin not. Now is John changing course? No, no, no. He's saying what a lot of us say for dads, you know, look, I expect you to do right. You can do right. You should do right. Right. But when you do mess up, I want you to know you can come talk to me. <laughs> you know, you can come and we'll, we'll work Amen. on it. 
That's that may not be a good analogy, but so what he said in John gives a little bit about himself when he says little children. I think I might be wrong, but I think he was quite old when he wrote this. Mm-hmm. Um, probably. And he's he looks at those people that are believers that look to him as his little children. And I'm sure there were people in there that uh, of that category that were 80 or <laughs> it doesn't matter how old they were. It's just that he was their father in, in that gospel sense. And he cared for them, which is something Gnostics are known, no, are, are infamous for being unloving uh, mm. because love is a silly, carnal, materialistic thing. We have nothing to do with love. Love is we throw it out the window. John wants them to know, I love you. Right. And not only do I love you, but the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. Right. And and on top of that, God wouldn't have sent his son to die for you if he didn't love you. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's the truth. And this is what the Gnostics want us to look away from. And then he says, and if any man sin, I almost wish that he'd said, but if any man sin, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) And if any man sin, look, I wrote. I'm not writing this to for you to feel like I got licensed to sin. Don't, don't we as primitive Adams get charged with that a lot of times yeah, anyway? Right. Paul even had to fight that. You see that in the third chapter of Romans. He says, I write these things to you that you sin not. I'm not writing to encourage you to sin, even though Gnostics seem to be saying the same thing. But I am saying this. If you sin, it doesn't mean you're not a child of God. Right. You're still Amen. as much a child of God then as you were before you sin. But when you sin, there is a there is something done to the fellowship. Uh, there, there's a there's something that needs to be repaired, not your eternal destiny. No. But but you know, just like you dads with kids, when our kids misbehave for a little while, isn't there a somewhat of a damage to the relationship? There I mean, is. there is something that needs to be dealt with. Break yeah. of fellowship. Break of fellowship. And I say I said relationship. I should say fellowship because. Relationship is looked at as a sonship thing, yeah. and fellowship is looked at as a discipleship thing. But to to John, sins are going to happen. You're going to make sins, and Jesus Christ is your advocate. So you you can, don't feel like like these Gnostics want you to feel like that when you sin, you're not spiritual. You're out of here. You're dead. You're done. No, no. You have Jesus Christ, the righteous, as your, what did you say, Joe, your stand-up, uh, the friend of the court. Yeah. He stands up yeah. with you. He addresses the judge. I mean, uh, he's not doing that so you can sin again. He wants you to know no. that yes. there is a great bond of love between us. And fellowship requires, on occasion, maybe more than we want to say, it requires that we fix, mend fences. Right. That we right. Protect, you know, Right. Or sometimes uh, build some fences against things that we maybe have torn down. And I want to make this last comment that will only take me, brethren, another 50 minutes All right. <laughs> about the propitiation. <clears throat> it's already been said. Christ is the propitiation. It's not that he was the propitiation. He was, but he is the propitiation. It's not that he will be the propitiation <clears throat> when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. He is the propitiation. He will always be the propitiation. Thank God. He will always it's be. A fact. Yes. But notice how John made a <laughs> distinction between him and the people he's writing to and then the whole world. Now, Jesus is the propitiation, not just for John, not just for 
John's readers, which are believers, but for the whole world. If that is the world of all mankind, past, present, and future, then we will have to be universalist. Yeah. Everybody, because Christ mm. is the propitiation. Notice there's no conditions in those right. two verses. Brother Joe brought right. that out. That's there's right. no conditions. Grammatically, you can't do otherwise with that. You cannot. Those right. words. Yep. So <clears throat> now, John, as is his want in his gospel they wrote and in the first John, he uses the word world quite a lot. And I think a in lot. almost every case, it's cosmos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to say about the Greek uh, words and, and their distinction. I just want to say this. The, the world is, John uses the word world in various different ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he will use it again in 1 John 5, right. 19. Well, he, he'll use it before that. Don't get me wrong. But first John 5, 19 is where I want to go to because it says <clears throat> the whole, well, phooey, I thought I had it. I had it, Brother Jerry. I had it, and then I looked at you, and then I didn't have it. Oh, man. I, I didn't take it from you, did I? <laughs> uh, he says, uh, well, where does this, where, did I, where it says the whole world life and wickedness. I thought it was verse 19. Verse 19. Huh? Verse 19. Verse 19? Yeah. Oh, man, I was way off. Oh, it's highlighted, man. Uh, my my uh, progressive lenses aren't working very good. He says, and we know that we are of God, <clears throat> and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Yeah. Well, if that's the whole world that Jesus is the propitiation of, then I don't understand the Bible. Mm. I don't understand the power of his propitiation. Where, where's the power? Where's the efficacy in what he did? <clears throat> yeah. if the world is the world that he died for. Mm. But I think we have a we have a few hints and later in that second chapter of uh, John, he talks about <clears throat> where is it about uh, those that he's writing to that that know the commandments. Yeah, verse seven. Thank you, brother Jerry. He says, uh, "Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you." Why would he say that? Because they had commandments before. I think it's just a way for him to say, I'm writing to you, Jewish brethren. Mm-hmm. But an old commandment, which he had from the beginning. From the beginning. Which they did. And Paul, uh, a noted Pharisee, says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. They had that from the, from the get-go. He says, uh, the, the old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So my point here is, the world should also be looked at from a Jewish perspective right man this right. is one of those things that if you don't right. think like this you're going to miss something out a lot that's right this is part of the context it's not and it's so easy to miss because nothing says i'm a jew writing to jews and uh, i'm writing about this this and this and oh here by the way are the gentiles it's not that way yeah <clears throat> these are understood between john <coughs> and those to whom he's writing so the Jews had a way of talking about the Gentile world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They right. talked about the world of the Gentiles. That's right. Now, let's let's be careful. When it says he is the propitiation uh, for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's not talking about every single Gentile that ever lived. Right. But what he is saying is he's the propitiation for all sorts. Oh, Gentiles! Uh, all kinds of Gentiles, just like uh, <clears throat> we say. The, there's a he's, we believe in election, but not without not with exception, but without uh, distinction. Yeah, God loves all men 
all sorts of men, all sorts of people, all sorts of people, all sorts of people. And this whole world is, I think, indicative of John's argument that he will continue to make. And it's this, and John and Brother Mark brought this out so well in Ephesians 1 4. The truth is inclusive. Gnosticism and other heresies are exclusive. Amen. Amen. And Judaism was too. Yes. Ju- right. Yes. Judaism was, was too. too. That's it. And Gnosticism point. said, you got to think like us. You got to put, you got to believe yep. like us. You, uh, you got to follow point. our secret rules and regimens. And finally, when you get to that point, you may reach that level. You have, you're <clears> in <throat> the conduit of pure knowledge. <clears throat> and you've touched the uh, untouchable, unknowable wow. thing that, we today call God. No, I'm not saying election includes every human being. It doesn't. Why well, call no. it election if it did? Right. That's right. But there's more people that will be going to heaven according to our doctrine of election than there ever will be of something like Gnosticism. Amen. Amen. Because this is, uh, he says, the whole world, you know, uh, the whole world means without without distinction. There's It's not just to Jews. It's not mm. just to us first century believers, but it's to all of God's people, wherever they may be, uh, even if they never hear the gospel. And yes, that is a truth we have to face. The propitiation is not based upon the gospel reaching somebody and being believed. It's a better story than that. Thank God for that. Yeah, That's right. God doesn't use preachers to extend the propitiatory work of Jesus Christ. That was one time for all time work or act he only did it once it's all that needed to be done and it was efficacious to all for whom it was done so it whether they live before christ during christ or after christ they're part of that world they're part of that whole world that john has reference to so i think i just almost talked as much as jerry did i'm really yeah Yeah, but you you did it way better (laughs) right now i feel like i've just do we have any time left for anybody Oh, man. <laughs> that was, that was powerful. I just, that's a, that's a surface scratcher. Joe, what do you got to think? I mean, surely. Well, you, you, you've made some beautiful points and I, I endorse every one of them. Let this word world becomes the elephant in the room. It does. We've hinted it at it. Let's look at the elephant. Okay. Get it. Go for First it. of all, from a biblical perspective, a lot of our friends, very sincerely, you look at the word, don't study context and think every human being who ever lived it's or some it's very imitation of that idea. Yeah. Does scripture use the word that exclusively in that way? Let me give you some passages. Good. Yeah, right. And Luke chapter two, verse one, one of the simplest passages to make this point in the New Testament. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. What is that world, Brother Joe? Question. How much tax did the American Indian pay to Rome because of this edict? How much tax did the the Australian Aborigine pay to Rome? What is all the world in Mm -hmm. that setting? All people who lived in the Roman Empire. That's right. Double That's it. Mike, you quoted 1 John 5.19, or uh, yes, 5.19. We are of God, 
and the whole world lies in wickedness. The whole world is not all humanity. By definition, John excludes we who yeah. are of God are not part sure. of that, of that world. world. And it's just not a part of humanity, I guess. Can't be. And thanks to you, Mike, Paul twice in the book of Romans chapter 11 specifically yeah. uses world, 11, chapter, Romans 11, verse 12 and verse 15, mm-hmm. he uses world specifically to refer to Gentiles Amen. who will yeah. be blessed with the gospel in opposition to the moderate to the to the prevailing first century Jewish belief that only Jews were blessed. Peter and the apostles and many Christians in the first century and first generation church still believed that the gospel was only for Jews. Acts Amen. 15, the, the controversy at, at Antioch, Galatians chapter 2, Peter, and, and all of those passages confirmed that this was an entrenched idea that had to be uprooted. The Gnostics taught that only those who gained access and understanding of the secret knowledge they offered were saved. Judaism, like Nicodemus, thought that only Jews would be saved. How does the gospel counter that idea? It borrows the very term they use for those out there and applies it to the saving grace of God. It's not all without exception. It's all included from the whole of, of humanity. Amen. As, as these points make. Um, John Gill, in his commentary on this lesson, identifies that the Jews commonly in the first century used the term whole world, not for Jews only, for John was a Jew, and so were those he wrote unto, but for the Gentiles also. Nothing is more common in Jewish writing than to call the Gentiles the world and the whole world. And he he quotes from a Jewish first century writer, Jews speaking of Gentiles, there is no propitiation for them. Mm. Ooh. That is a, ooh, man. Yes, it is. And, and I want to quote from, I, I, I love finding non-primitive Baptists who affirm the points we make. We're not exclusive in our belief of That's grace. Right. So Amen. Many points. Voice in his commentary on this lesson. It's just a brief reading, but it's worth considering because he, he touched something very good here. What John wishes to say, he's talking about 1 John 2, 1 and 2. What John wishes to say is that Jesus fulfilled the pattern set by the Old Testament sacrifices by that he did so in such a way that now Gentiles as well as Jews are saved. Yeah. If Jesus has done so much for us, not only for us, but also for men and women scattered throughout the whole world, not inclusive of the whole world. And if this naturally leads us to praise him, should it not also lead us to holiness? Yeah. To strive not to sin. Right. That's good. Right. The real point of 1 John 2, 1 and 2. It is. How do you live because you have this knowledge of what Jesus did for you? You're not someone out here 
in left field hanging on by your fingernails and liable to fall off at the drop of a hat, you are a child of the king. You belong to him. Live in that security and put every effort in your life not to sin. He deserves it. Amen. Amen. Wow. That's right. But when you do, as a good parent, he's not going to disown you because you sin. He's going to show you the way to make it right. There is balm in Gilead for your illness, your sin illness, and it's the name of the medicine is Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now that ties in with our last week discussion, wow. brethren. Wow. Exactly. Wow. exactly. There's a lot of overlap between these yeah, lessons. There, there yeah. certainly and is. John 3. Yeah. There really is. You know, there, and I know, Brother Mike, you said that I obviously I've talked too much because you, you uh, did. Man, you, I you made reference it. to that. I didn't say anything as good as you and Joe have said, though, or any of you other guys. But I'll say this anyway. I'm not going to stop talking because this is too good to not talk about. <laughs> The world, we've talked about it, what it is, what it isn't. You know what's important to me? I want to be a part of it. Amen. <laughs> I, want to be, I want to be included Amen. in it, right? And I think that's the essence of John's writing. You know, these things write I unto you. You're in this world and <clears throat> that's under consideration. And God's blessed you to be able to know that you are. Yeah. That oh. you are. Oh. Oh. And hereby, verse that's three. Okay. You got my verse. And hereby we do know that we know him. I love the language of that. You see, I want to know the Christ. I I don't want to know a knockoff Christ. I don't want to know man's version of Christ. Right. Um, I want to know him. I want to know him. That is really him. Yep. Um, (laughs) We have the earnest of our inheritance in this life. We're sealed with the Holy spirit of promise. We don't have a knockoff gospel y'all. This is, this is the real thing. And brother Mark, you said it, what we're talking about is real. This is real in our lives. And hereby we do know that we know him. No, we do know that we know if we keep his, there it is. There it is. That's what John's trying to tell these little children. That's what he's telling them. Right. That's right. The note, it the takes us right point. back to chapter one in fellowship. Amen. Oh, it uh, yeah. It it yep, that's it. And and it takes us, Jerry, when you were when you were making those rich points, it also takes us to Philippians three. It does. Paul, yes. a man and an apostle said, I've counted all of my awards yes. hanging on the wall, nothing that right. I may know okay. him and the power of his oh. resurrection. He already knew him in salvation. This yes. wasn't. This is not a salvation right. passage. Right. It's yes. a fellowship passage. Right. Fellowship. That I may know him in the experience of my right. life. That I may know him yeah. more than I know the challenges of COVID. That I may know Amen. him more than the chaos of political confusion. Amen. That I may know him more Amen. than the problems of my illness. That I may know him above and beyond anything else in my life. Amen. There's my soapbox. You guys oh my go with it. That was a pulpit, man. That yeah. was man, that was <laughs> preaching. Yeah. Well, it's wow. so rich. It I see rich. Daniel's chair going like this. Daniel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, son. Talk to his brother. <laughs> it's um what I love is when John or any of the apostles take that which is so complex and make it so simple. So yep. Amen. Simple. Amen. Um, and it, it's 
it, it, John is basically saying, don't get so smart that you make yourself stupid. Oh, That's what Gnostics yeah, were doing. Yeah. 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 Like uh, he's, he's, he's saying, especially as he gets down through second chapter, he's saying, here's some proofs for you to go through. Love your brother, you know, uh, don't, don't follow in sin. The, these are like, you know, when you're, when you're bowling with a little kid and they put bumpers up in the lane, you know, it's, it's a check, right? You can only go so far in messy doctrine. If you are acting in this manner, if, and it's because you're acting in this manner that you understand certain things, Mm. doctrine proves duty and duty can prove doctrine. Mm. It can. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very much so like, um, like when you're, it's one thing to, to learn about something and then it's another thing to do it because when you're doing it, you learn more things about the thing that you were trying to learn about than you would have when you were just studying it. Mm. So if you, it's very much so, I mean, I go back to singing or whatever, but you can read all the books in the world that you want to about singing, but you're not really going to know a thing about it until you start doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like that, that is doctrine that we spend so much. And th- I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a good thing that we spend all this time in study, trying to understand exactly what our God has done, but it can <laughs> not saying that it would, but it is, it is prone to going off the rails if we don't apply it to our lives, if we don't apply exactly what John is talking about, and it's not, uh, it it seems so silly, right? Like there's just this mountain of information about our God in this book. No, there's a mountain of it. And John is just saying here to walk in it is to love. All of that knowledge, all of that information, if it doesn't prove this simple thought, then it is not on the right path. Amen. Like it just he just he just makes it he just makes it so simple. You know, and and it's like um it goes back to the to the mindset of that all of this is just a derivative of the mindset. Do you believe in grace or do you believe in your own works? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a derivative of that. And if we're also talking about practical application, if you've ever seen someone make that switch from the thought process of the works doctrine to the thought process of grace doctrine, it changes. I mean, it, do, it doesn't just change how they understand Jesus. It does. It changes how the, it changes the lens of life itself. It changes their worldview. It right. changes their yeah. whole worldview. It changes everything. It doesn't just change what they think about God. It changes what they think about everything. Yeah. You know, and, and um, the, the hardest part is when people that have grown up with that thought, usually in, in my experience, the, the hitch, the problem, the hump that they got to get over is, well, God doesn't love everybody, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and when you get to understanding exactly what God has done, you understand propitiation, you understand 
that our God is a perfect God and he doesn't leave anything to chance, especially he doesn't leave the salvation of his children to chance. He doesn't leave any of that. And then you also, on the other side, you start to understand that really what you're believing is that there's some goodness within us that is inherent to us that is not from God, that's from us. That's what that works doctrinally. And you start deconstructing all that thought. That's right. And you realize that you, because of the works doctrine that you believe, have not been able to apply godly love in your life to its fullest extent. That's where the rubber meets the road. If you believe in salvation, the level of compassion that you can have for your brothers and sisters is available to you in a way that it was previously unavailable to you when you believed in works doctrine. Boy, that is wonderful. Amen. That's where the rubber meets the... What have we left to do? Like Brother Joe said when he was talking about Paul, all of my trophies, they're Mm -hmm. just... They're just firewood. Amen. Okay? That's that's actually a joke in our choir room. Our, our, our trophies are these big wood plaques, and I call them firewood. <laughs> um, but the but that's but that's the idea. Who are we? We are nothing, not a thing, until God one saved us and two placed that work within us. Yeah. And through the action of what He has given us. We can understand him, we can understand us, we can understand our world, and through that entire understanding, there's only one thing to do, love God and love each other. Yeah. Amen. Wonderful. Yes, sir. How many amens can we say? (laughs) Is there another way to say amen? Hallelujah. Yeah. Brother Mark, I think we are, are we at the time, are we? Oh, you're you're muted, Mark. Sorry, my clock's about to cuckoo. Yes, we are at time. Yeah. So we uh that's all right, brother. You know, there's no we 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 say an hour, but you know, we may go under an hour, not, but we may go over an hour, yes. <clears throat> so uh I trust everyone who who's watching, viewing this feels like it was well worth your time and that it's stirred up your pure mind by way of remembrance. It's given you some good food for thought. Yeah. But again, we don't know. We, we don't claim to be experts. We just feel like uh, we're thankful for what little bit the Lord has revealed to us and, and helped us in our studies. If these things help you give God the glory, mm. if, if you are offended mm-hmm. in any way, then cast that upon us and also cast a mantle of charity on us. Mm. So before we hang up the phone, as we used to say, brother, brother Joe, any concluding thoughts? Um, just a quick tag on and reinforcement of of Daniel's rich thoughts. For some reason, over the last six months or year, this thought has just been recurring over and over in my mind. If we view the Bible and our purpose in faith as learning God's roadmap for lost sinners to find their way to heaven. Everything in the Bible becomes a slave to that idea, and we have nothing to guide us in our present life. 
If we accept Paul's description, his inspired description of Scripture to the man of God to be fully equipped, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, suddenly we have that sense of security in Jesus, our propitiation, and the whole Bible becomes an endless supply of simple, straightforward teaching that guides us to live a life that looks to and seeks to glorify him in everything we are and everything we do. Yes. He not only is the propitiation for our great big sin problem, he is our daily advocate when we stumble. He's both. Praise him for both. Amen. Amen. My goodness. Amen. I think we should close on that note, brother. I, I do agree. Too. <laughs> I agree. You guys I'm need a... to talk too. <laughs> oh. Well, we will, uh, Lord willing, be with everyone next Tuesday, but uh, we hope that this has been a blessing to you and a help in your studies. Uh, don't know what our subject next week will be, but it, we'll hmm. let the word out as soon as we possibly can. And uh, to close out this session, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Brother Mark, would you lead us in prayer, please? Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for another opportunity to be with our brethren and to look into thy word. We trust, Heavenly Father, that thou has guided us in our thoughts and in our words. We trust, Heavenly Father, that the glory belongs to thee. Ask that you continue to lead us in understanding uh, what thou hast provided for us. Continue to guide each of us uh, in the pathways of righteousness and to always look to thee for our strength and our help, our comfort and consolation. Forgive us of all of our many sins. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Say good night, everyone. We'll see you next week. Good night. God bless. God bless. God bless.